Welcome into the NFL on Fox podcast presented by Verizon. I'm Dave Hellman. And if you predicted the New York Jets putting a scare into the Kansas City Chiefs, you better speak now because you're a brighter football mind than me. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm not going to do the Taylor Swift bit today. Not not after that. Not after the Jets play far better football than I think anybody saw coming. They fall to the Kansas City Chiefs 23-20 at MetLife Stadium to wrap up a hectic week four Sunday. And we didn't we didn't even need the Taylor Swift stuff. You know, it helped it helped us get through a beatdown of the Chicago Bears last week. The football spoke for itself in week four as the New York Jets overcome a 17-0 deficit to put a big-time scare into the defending champs. This looked like the snoozer of all snoozers through about 30 minutes, the Chiefs doing whatever they wanted to. And then the New York Jets rally behind the efforts of Zach Wilson. Nothing I'm saying is a joke. Like I, I hope you watched this game because for the briefest of moments, and we'll see how far it goes, how long it lasts, but... We saw the Zach Wilson that the New York Jets drafted number two overall out of BYU. This was the guy in Provo, Utah, that was slinging it all over the yard, playing fearless, playing confident. He revived himself for at least one night. Yes, with Taylor Swift in attendance, he outplayed Patrick Mahomes. I really do think that's true. Even with a crucial fumble, In the fourth quarter of this game that helped lead to the Chiefs win, Zach Wilson says himself afterwards, it's on me, it's not on the defense. I still think he outplayed Patrick Mahomes. Like I said, he looked confident, he looked decisive, he led the Jets on multiple touchdown drives, threw multiple touchdowns, finishes with 245 passing yards, which if you've watched the first few weeks of the Jets season, you know just how stupendous that is. I don't think it's a stretch to say that he outplayed the reigning MVP on this night, at least that's, that is the big question now is it's, it's almost like, wait, if this is the Zach Wilson that I could have, then we don't need to have all of these conversations about trading for someone or signing a veteran. I mean, I came into this game fully expecting Trevor Simeon to start the jets next game. The veteran they signed last week, they bring him into the building because that's how putrid the offense has looked. But coming out of this, I'm saying, yes, this is the New York Jets team that we all thought could be really feisty and be a really tough out with Aaron Rodgers playing quarterback. I don't want to get too carried away. I already said he outplayed Patrick Mahomes. He's certainly not Aaron Rodgers, but the talent is evident and you see what the Jets are capable of with even we'll call it solid quarterback play course, having said all of that, Patrick Mahomes is still Patrick Mahomes and he does MVP things. Not a memorable night by his very lofty standards. He throws two interceptions. He could have had a third. I'll get to that in a minute, but he does manage to lead the chiefs on two really clutch second half scoring drives, one to kick a field goal and take the 23, 20 lead. And then another long winding drive that essentially kills out the clock. Patrick Mahomes breaking gamblers hearts everywhere when he converts a third and eight in the red zone and slides at the goal line rather than running in for the touchdown jets get the cover. Uh, So I, if you had money on that, I, I hope your money was on the jets, but 
two clutch two clutch drives from Patrick Mahomes. He runs for 51 yards in this game. That's going to be what gets remembered. His third down scramble on third and 23 to pick up 25 yards. And then the nine yard scramble that really puts this game away. I can hear you. If, if you don't happen to be a fan of the Kansas city chiefs, I can hear you mentioning that there were some decisions that benefited Mahomes in this game. Chiefs probably got away with an offensive holding on at least one of those possessions on at least one of those scrambles. And they probably got away with a non or, or a call on a non-defensive holding. Mahomes throws it deep, gets picked off seemingly for the third time in the night on that final drive. Defensive holding is called chiefs move further down the field. They wind up winning. I thought Robert Sala jets head coach was going to blow his stack Honestly, rightfully so. I thought it was football. I thought it was pretty standard jostling for for a ball. Uh, the refs did not see it this way. I don't blame Sala for no commenting on it. No reason to be lighter in the pocketbook as well as the win column. But hey, it's Patrick Mahomes. The game's best typically have a way of creating their own luck. I'm not mad at him about it. Chiefs survive a much closer game than I think most people saw coming. And Taylor Swift gets to enjoy a way more entertaining football game than she did last week. So everybody's happy. Honestly, even Jets fans should be just seeing a semblance of good quarterback play out of Zach Wilson has to have you feeling at least slightly better about where the season could go from here. But that was just the finale of Sunday. All of the expected action you get from the NFL happened earlier. We've got a full slate to get to. We'll go through our usual Sunday six, the six biggest storylines we think you need to know. And surprise, surprise, we'll start it off this week with none other than the Dallas Cowboys. Heck of a way to respond to your first loss of the season, an embarrassing one to Arizona last week. The Cowboys head back to Dallas where the sky was falling all week previously. And they shut everybody up in style. Another dominant win from Dallas, 38-3 to over the New England Patriots. They hand Bill Belichick the worst loss of his very storied career through four games. They've got a plus 83-point differential. You would, you would be shocked that they've managed to lose a game. It speaks to the maddening nature of this team. But this was America's game of the week. Plenty of people saw the Cowboys once again flex their muscles. I checked in with Kevin Burkhart and Greg Olson, who for the second straight week had some airtime to fill in the second half of a blowout. All right, guys, Cowboys down the Patriots, 38 to three. It's eerie how similar this one looked to the Cowboys first two games. I'm curious from your perspective, you see the defense get back to the dominant ways. I know they scored in the red zone, but probably not as much as they'd prefer. Which one of those stands out to you more for this Dallas team? I mean, I think it's the defense, don't you? I mean, they scored two touchdowns. They just they did whatever they wanted to New England. And I think. Look, Dallas had an off week last week. It's going to happen. Even bad defense, and people were panicking, and, and then this is who they are. You said it right. If they get a lead with this D, forget it. Yeah, and this is the model that the Cowboys want to play. They want to play with a lead. They want to come out early in the passing game and establish that. That's exactly what they did today. They didn't want to play to New England style. And listen, if you're New England, you're lucky that you did so well defensively in the red zone or else they would have scored 50 yeah, you know it's it's pretty it's pretty remarkable they were able to score 38. Granted, the two defensive touchdowns make a big difference. They'll continue to work on the red zone stuff. But as you heard Dak say in his post game with with Aaron, when you win 38 to three, it's kind of hard to yeah. find a lot to complain about. 
Yeah, big, big one coming up for them against San Francisco next week. I want to talk quickly on the Patriots side. I heard you all talking about this on the broadcast. I know the game got away from New England. It's still going to raise eyebrows when your starting quarterback turns the ball over three times and gets yanked. I mean, where do you see this going from here? What do you think? I think that's the question of the week. I think that's the question that Bill Belichick's going to answer here in about the next 20 minutes. Yeah. And I don't think the question's going to go away. I think even in last week's win against New York, it was hardly an offensive effort. And that's just the reality of it. They were fortunate that the Jets offense right now is kind of struggling to find their way as well. And they could just kind of match punt for punt and make just enough to win. So they've got some questions, especially offensively in New England. And until they get those fixed, it's going to be, it's going to be hard to win games in this league. I'm really confident I'm going to check in with y'all after a thriller very soon. Not today, but Kevin Burkhardt, Greg Olson, I appreciate the time. Safe travels, guys. One thing worth clarifying, after I talked to Greg and Kevin, Bill Belichick did say he pulled Mac Jones because there's no point having your starter in the game when you're down by 35 points. Belichick making it sound like, no, there's no quarterback controversy. Mac Jones is our guy going forward against the New Orleans Saints next week. I do think it's interesting that a young quarterback in need of reps was pulled so quickly, but if you lose your starter, you probably lose your season. So I get it. I'm fascinated by what comes next for the Cowboys. We've had week five circled on the calendar forever. It is the trip to play the San Francisco 49ers, the team that has dashed their playoff hopes two years in a row, but more so than just the fact that it's a big game. I can't wait to get a better sense of who the Cowboys are. I mean, they've had three absolutely dominant performances. They would be the hottest team in the NFL if not for a huge hiccup in Arizona last weekend. Everybody plays poorly. They lose by double digits to a team that's widely expected to finish atop the draft order. They come right back, though. Again, 40 to nothing in week one, 30 to 10 in week two, 38 to three in week four. Is this a juggernaut or is this a team that is capable of making as many mistakes as we saw in Arizona? I have a feeling we're going to know exactly what the case is when Sunday night football is over next week in Santa Clara. Let's keep it in the NFC for item number two on the Sunday six, because I can hear you. Yes, it was a big Cowboys win, but it's not the Cowboys who are 4-0. It is their two biggest rivals for NFC supremacy, the Philadelphia Eagles and the San Francisco 49ers. Both improved to 4-0. They are the only unbeaten teams remaining in the NFL after four games. Two big performances for two different reasons. A thriller in Philadelphia between the Eagles and the Commanders and a not quite as thrilling game out in San Francisco between the Niners and the Cardinals. Let's start off in Philadelphia. Eagles get an overtime win against the commanders uh, looked like it was going to be a fairly straightforward finish and turned out to be anything, but one of the most fun games of the week. And I'm joined now by the guys who called it Joe Davis and Daryl Johnston to break the whole thing down. All right, guys, if this wasn't a trend already, it is now, you know, the Eagles four and is four and but they, they continue to find ways to make it a little bit stressful. What do you take away from a game where, you know, they're able to put up 34 points, 400 yards, but, but clearly this is a game that goes to overtime in a, in a game that they were hev he heavily favored in. We just, what, what do you make of this performance where you get it done, but, but maybe a little more stressful than you'd prefer? Yeah, I don't know what you think, Daryl. I think first thing is, I think Washington's pretty good. They showed yeah. that maybe last week was the exception. And I think, like they've said, bottom line, Eagles are 4-0. 
Yeah, and, and what does one thing that Jalen Hurts always say? It, it just matters if we win, and that's the that's the focal point of this team. And they know they're not playing their best football. They've had a tough start to the season. Yeah. When you talk about playing against the Bill Belichick defense, Brian Flores, who's a disciple, Todd Bowles, and now a division rival, you're going to have some bumps. Brian Johnson is the new offensive coordinator. They got to grow and mesh together, and they're making progress. But they're winning games while they're making progress. So I think people can look at it from two perspectives. Why are the Eagles struggling a little bit on offense? I would be more to this team is really solidifying because they're finding ways to win and that's Jalen Hurts' number one message all we're worried about is winning Moose on the flip side I loved the way that you were talking about the two-point conversion decision before the commanders even scored that touchdown I know it's easy after the fact to second guess Ron Rivera but knowing the way this game plays out do you think maybe he tries that differently and at the end of regulation there We've seen it a couple of times in the NFL. Jack Del Rio did it down in uh, in New Orleans uh, as a head coach, uh, knowing that if he went into overtime, didn't really have all that great a shot. Let's just take it right now. We saw Brian Dable with the with the uh, New York Giants yeah. do it last year uh, in Tennessee. So I, I think sometimes when you're struggling, I think it's the right decision, especially on the road at your division rival. You fought all the way back. I don't want to take a chance on a coin toss. Now they won that toss and got the ball first and didn't execute, had their only second three and out of the game in overtime. But I would have liked to have taken the chances with the two-point play and try to win it in regulation. I absolutely agree with you. Eagles get the win. Really impressive showing from the commanders, though. Guys, thank you so much for your time. I couldn't agree with Moose Johnston more. I just think the commanders had the Eagles on the ropes. The strength of this Eagles team is going to be its offense, and you had a chance to end this game without letting Jalen Hurts and his group back on the field. Commanders score as regulation expires, so no more plays. The extra point or the two-point conversion could have been the last thing that happens in this game. You've got Eric Bieniemy, who gets the job as commander's OC after a very impressive run in Kansas City. You've got Sam Howell playing fantastically, had the Eagles defense on their heels. I think Ron Rivera has to go for this. And, and it's not just second guessing. I was saying that as the drive was winding down again, Moose said the same thing before the commanders even scored. I think you got to consider winning this game on your own terms or losing it on your own terms. Either way, you are the outmatched team. You are not supposed to win this game. Commanders, eight point underdogs on the road had a chance to score a big upset. Just not sure we can call Ron Rivera riverboat Ron with that type of conservative decision-making Obviously, the commanders go on to lose in overtime. They go three and out. The Eagles go down the field and score for a walk-off field goal. They only punted once in the second half. So, again, there was a good indicator that this is what was going to happen if the game went to overtime. Ron Rivera didn't see it that way. Eagles improved to 4-0. and I don't know how wonderful you feel as an Eagles fan, but you, you should. Like, all of these games have been stressful in their own way, but they've all been wins. And... At the very least, we got to look at how devastating the Eagles passing game can be this week. It's been a minute since we saw A.J. Brown completely take over a game the way he did on Sunday. But Jalen Hurts was averaging almost nine yards per attempt. A.J. goes off for nine catches, 175. He has the stutter go touchdown that puts the Eagles up. It honestly looked like the game winner before some last minute heroics from Sam Howell. But it's nice to see that on a day where the Eagles running game looked kind of toothless for the first time this season, the passing game could really complement it. That That's the crazy thing is you sit there and say, man, the Eagles just aren't playing all that well. They were four of 12 on third down. They go to overtime against Washington, but look at this thing at the end of the day, 
415 yards, 34 points. Jalen looks his best as a passer so far this season. No turnovers, 4-0. Like, if this is what the Eagles look like when they're not clicking, it's scary to think what happens when they really figure it all out. I, I think we've been saying that all season long, but it continues to be true. So, so impressed with the commanders, though. I expected this to be kind of like last week against Tampa, where the Eagles, maybe it's stop start for a half, and then they pull away to win this game by 14 or 17 points. Not the case. Sam Howell, a week after an incredibly forgettable game against Buffalo, he went out there and did his thing, man. Sacked five times too. Like the Eagles pass rush got to him. The Eagles defense made life difficult on him. He made some fantastic throws. Terry McLaurin with a big day. Deami Brown with two huge, huge catches. His old UNC teammate coming through for Sam Howell. This is going to be a fun season for Washington. I don't, I don't know how many games they're going to win. I don't know if they make the playoffs, but Sam Howell continuing to respond to adversity, continuing to show glimpses of why he was a Heisman candidate in college, why it was surprising that he fell to the fifth round. I'm very intrigued to see where this goes because through a month, you look at Washington and you say, man, this Sam Howell's got some stuff to him. And I think it's especially impressive that he was able to play a game this good a week after a real, real low point against Buffalo, just an all around terrible day for Washington. And they rebound by putting the defending NFC champs on the ropes. Of course, almost only counts in horseshoes and hand grenades. As they always say, the Eagles four zero with a couple of really winnable looking games coming up on the schedule. Doesn't matter what they look like as long as they're W's in the end. Plenty for Washington to feel good about, but like for the Eagles to have not yet played a great, great game of football and be one of the last four and no teams remaining in the NFL, I think it says a lot about their quality. And we can once again look forward to them being on top of the NFC playoff picture throughout the season. Several time zones to the West. The 49ers host a division game of their own against the Cardinals. Not, not quite as titillating as that one out in Philadelphia. The Niners romp 35-16 over Arizona. The Cardinals surprisingly competitive this entire year. They actually were competitive for a chunk of this game. Don't let the final score fool you. But I do appreciate the way the Niners have an extra gear. The Cardinals score to cut it to 21-16. Just as you're starting to get nervous or get excited that we might have a game on our hands, the Niners crank it up. They score two unanswered touchdowns. They put this thing away. Christian McCaffrey is going to be the guy that gets the headlines and deserving deservedly. So 177 all purpose yards and four touchdowns in this game. He's got 600 total yards through four games of the year, seven touchdowns so far this season. I'd say the Niners feeling pretty good about their decision to trade for him roughly a year ago. It prompts me to ask, in, in a league where quarterbacks drive so much of the conversation and drive so much of the wins and losses, it feels like Christian McCaffrey at least belongs in the MVP conversation through roughly a quarter of the season. I mean, you just heard his numbers. You've seen the impact that he's had on this team. So I wanted to go straight to the source. Kevin Kugler and Mark Sanchez called this game for us here on Fox. I put I put it straight, put them straight to the question. Could Christian McCaffrey, if he continues to do this, be putting together an MVP caliber campaign? Dave, thanks so much. Christian McCaffrey's MVP, pretty simple. Just keep doing this. If you score four touchdowns a game, you've got a real good shot at this at the end of the season. I think you got an excellent shot. That'll get him quite a few touchdowns. I'm not going to even try with that math. 
but it's the way he can catch it out of the backfield, the way they're using him uh, with motions to let him use uh, his ability in open space to run those option routes, whether it's from the backfield, from the receiver position, and then all the blockers he gets. He's the beneficiary of some incredible blocking downfield. Don't let that go unnoticed, whether it's Kittle, Juszczyk, Debo, Ayuk, everybody is servicing the runner, and uh, it's pretty special to watch, and, and this is the outcome. He's incredible. Well, and so many weapons for the San Francisco team, Mark. Christian McCaffrey sometimes can get lost yeah. because if he doesn't get it going, Ayuk gets it going, Debo Samuel gets it going, George Kittle gets it going. It's a lot of options for Brock Purdy, who, by the way, was incomplete on one total pass. In just one. Yeah. I mean, Terrible pass. Yeah, no. <laughs> it was just awful. He was awesome. But it was a really impressive performance. Christian McCaffrey with four touchdowns today. And quite clearly, if he keeps that pace up, yeah, he'll be the MVP of the league. Oh, no question. Some days with an ensemble cast, it's a shot glass with your touches. Some days it's a rain barrel. For him, it was a rain barrel today. No question. And it helped San Francisco get the 35-16 win over Arizona. Dave? I really hope McCaffrey can keep this up. But as Kevin and Mark mentioned, we got to shout out Brock Purdy as well. There's a there's a debate, at least on social media, about how good Brock Purdy actually is. Now, I would point out how good does he need to be with this supporting cast. But when you throw one incompletion in a game, whether, you know, we, we don't have to call the guy Patrick Mahomes, but clearly that is a level of skill that goes beyond just making the obvious play, or even if you're only making the obvious play, if you make the right decision every single time, 20 of 21, I think that's incredibly impressive. This was Purdy's best day of the season so far, 13.5 yards per attempt, quarterback rating of 135. He gets a rushing touchdown at the end of this thing as well. I just, again, the guy's superpower, if he has one, is that he just executes Kyle Shanahan's game plan to perfection. The decision is never a bad one. The ball placement is always good enough. It does help that he's got all of these juggernauts playing with him. But that's my thing is, even if that's all he's doing, who cares? That is the situation that he's in, and he's clearly operating at a very high level. Make the right decision. Don't make mistakes. Let all these other guys help you, and it is working to perfection. Niners have cracked 30 points in all four of their games. Very rarely have they had to sweat. The closest they've come to a close game is that the Rams were within shouting distance of them at the end of regulation in week two. Otherwise, they've just been in cruise control. And like I said, as soon as they recognize a team is a threat to the point that they need to crank it up, no problem. Two scoring drives in, you know, late in this game to put things away, to make a game that looked like it might be close, not be close at all. I'm really happy for Brandon Ayuk. No, no beef with George Kittle or Debo Samuel, but I've long thought Brandon Ayuk is the forgotten man in this offense, and he continues to put together a stellar season. He comes back from injury this week, picks up right where he left off in week one, six catches for 148 yards. So yeah, if McCaffrey and Debo and Kittle wasn't scary enough, Brandon Ayuk playing at a very, very high level, and Brock Purdy just continues to make the right decisions. Don't even need to mention the defense. Not a memorable day for them. But if a non-memorable memorable day for the defense is holding the opposition to 16 points, there aren't there just aren't very many teams that can beat the 49ers. That's why they're 4-0. That's why they're going to win a ton of games. And that's one more reason why Cowboys at Niners next Sunday is going to kick some serious ass.
I keep mentioning Cowboys Niners as the game of the century of the season for week five, which isn't even fair because we haven't gotten to the game of the century of the season for week four, which was Dolphins Bills. So let's go there now. Item number three on the Sunday six going up to Buffalo where the Bills might not be undefeated, but they are officially the hottest team in the NFL right now, in my opinion, having just totally given the Miami Dolphins some work. Remember, the Bills almost felt like an afterthought in this game because Miami hung 70 points on Denver the week before. And what do the Bills do but just hang nearly 50 points on their division rivals as a nice little way of saying, hey, we're still here. We've won the division the last few years, and we're still pretty good. This did not turn out to be the game of the season. It sure looked like it for about 25 minutes of game time. Back and forth, back and forth. Each team trading touchdowns. What I think it was, it was 21 to 14 with 10 minutes to play in the first half. It just, I mean, it looked like last team with the ball wins. It looked like both of these teams might score 70 points. And then the bills just pulled away. Well, we've seen this a few times over the course of Josh Allen's career. We know he's good, but every now and then the bills go into this supernova mode where there's just not much you can do with them. Remember, I think it was two seasons ago in the wild card playoffs, the bills beat the Patriots 47 to seven. They didn't punt that night. Like all of their drives went for touchdowns. That's what that, that's what this game reminded me of Josh Allen, 21 of 25 for 320 yards, five total touchdowns, him and Stefan Diggs picked on the Dolphins secondary. Remember an underrated storyline is that Jalen Ramsey is missing from this Miami secondary right now with a knee injury. His absence loomed large in this game. Stephon Diggs goes for three touchdowns. The Bills got points on eight of their 11 true possessions in this game. They technically had 12. It's an, it was a, a kneel down at the end of the first half. The 11 times they had the ball with an opportunity to score, they got points eight times. And another one was just killing off the clock at the end of the game. The Dolphins had no answer for them. And when Josh Allen is doing his thing, making correct decisions, not forcing things, not making bad choices, this is what it can look like. On the flip side and the difference in this game, we mentioned it in the preview. I think the Bills are the more all-around complete team. Remember, second in total offense, excuse me, second in total defense, fifth in total offense. Well, their defense showed up in a big way today. Secondary confused to a tongue of Iloa just enough. Dolphins score 14 points on their first two possessions, but then they start getting bogged down. They punted three times in this game. They'd only punted five times on the season coming in bills, veteran secondary. Unfortunately, they lose Tredavious white to a, a severe injury in this game. Unfortunate, but still managed to hold the dolphins down by their lofty standards. Again, this is a, this is an offense that people are trying to come up with a nickname for. And the bills held them to 393 yards, which when a team can rack up 400 yards of offense and you beat them by almost 30 points, Clearly, you're doing something right. I don't think you can say enough about the Bills' pass rush. I think people were down on them with Von Miller being out due to injury. Well, Von Miller's slated to start practicing soon. And then you see guys in his absence, you see guys like Ed Oliver, Gregory Rousseau, Leonard Floyd getting after the quarterback. The Bills sacked Tua four times in this game. He'd only been sacked one time all season coming into this game. And that's all it takes. All it takes is 
one interception by Tua, a couple of punts, and with the efficiency we saw from the Bills' offense, that's how you have 400 yards of offense and you wind up losing by four scores. Again, like looking at the box score, the Dolphins played a perfectly good game. They ran for 150 yards. Devon Achan and and that Dolphins ground attack still look plenty potent. It's just hard to keep up with a team that you have no answers for defensively. And that's what happened here. That's how a game that was looking like a classic about halfway through turned into a laugher by the second half. Like I was, you know, you're trying to keep tabs on eight different games on a Sunday afternoon by the late third quarter. I was looking elsewhere because it was obvious where this one was headed. If not for a Josh Allen meltdown at MetLife against the Jets in week one, we are talking about the Bills in similarly glowing terms of what we were doing for the Dolphins just a couple days ago. And I'm guessing whatever little bit of the Bills was under the radar before today, it's not going to be that way anymore. They are back in a big way. They go to London to face Trevor Lawrence and the Jags in a game that I am definitely getting up early to watch. Item number four on the Sunday six, we'll just call WTF AFC North because this is a division that continues to defy explanations, certainly subverting expectations. The Cincinnati Bengals go down to Nashville. Remember, it feels like ancient history now, but just a week ago today, they get their first win of the season against the Rams. Joe Burrow does just enough. Everybody's feeling really good. Maybe we can ride this momentum down to Tennessee and beat the Titans. And they got smacked. Never bet against Mike Vrabel in an underdog spot. Just don't do it. If I've learned anything, I think that's my main takeaway from this is Mike Vrabel's going to find a way to surprise you. The Titans all over the Bengals to the tune of 27 to three. If it's possible, I think it was worse than that. Like, I think I think the Titans probably should have won this game 41 to three based on what played out on the field. Derrick Henry looking like vintage King Henry, 122 rushing yards through a touchdown pass. Joe Burrow just absolutely tortured by this Titans defense. They were all over him. They pressured him all day, sacked him three times, couldn't get anything going to the point where now I'm worried about the Bengals long-term prospects, Jamar chase voicing his frustrations to reporters after the game. I'm always effing open. Doesn't sound wonderful to hear from your star receiver in week four. It's, it's officially time. If we weren't panicked about the Bengals before, it's officially time to be very, very worried. I caught up with Adam Amin and Mark Schlereth, my guys who had the call for the NFL on Fox down in Nashville to talk. What is wrong with this Bengals offense and how can they fix it? And what can we expect from this surprising Titans team moving forward? Yeah, Dave, it's frustrating to watch if you're a Cincinnati Bengal fan right now. And a lot of it does have to do with the cap, as you talked about. It's hard to get the mechanics going for Joe Burrow. But 
we kind of saw the results of it, the, the real impact of that injury and how that trickles down to the rest of the offense in particular. Kind of give me a sense. Break that down for me. Yeah, I think there's a couple of things. Num number one, you're going to be a completely gun offense, right? You're going to be out of the shotgun almost 100% of the time. Yeah. Now, they've always been a big-time gun offense, but what it does, it eliminates the boot-keep game. It eliminates Joe Burrow's ability to get to the edge and then the broken plays, you know, the off-schedule plays where he scrambles, moves around, and makes a throw down the football field. Right now, everybody's playing him in a shell defense, meaning they're keeping all those DBs back and saying, you can throw it underneath. We'll let you complete it. We'll make tackles. And you're going to have to put 10, 12, 14 plays together to score on us. And that's a very difficult thing to do. So their menu is very limited as far as play calling is concerned because of that calf injury. And the defense obviously ran into a Tennessee team that wanted to get back to a physical game. Tennessee played an exceptionally physical game today. What do you want to see from this defense going forward? they got an interesting matchup coming up against Arizona that's given some teams some problems. What do you think about this defense right now? Yeah, well, I mean, you look at Tennessee like you talked about what they did they got back to their identity and if you have that kind of ability from the standpoint of just being physical setting the tone and the ability to blitz and play coverage behind it they did a great job with that today putting pressure consistently on Joe Burrow if that defense can continue to play that way well good things are going to happen for Tennessee yeah I think uh, we saw a lot of that manifest itself over the course of the day today but that Burrow calf injury still plays a major role it's the trickle down effect not only for him but what happens to the rest of this offense and this defense ran into a very physical Tennessee team today, Dave. Bengals have some serious soul-searching to do. Elsewhere in the division, the Baltimore Ravens flying high. Ravens at Browns was touted as one of the matchups of the weekend. Now, we didn't know at the time Deshaun Watson wouldn't be starting in this game. He's a last-second scratch with a shoulder injury. Rookie Dorian Thompson-Robinson getting his first start but the Ravens, the story is the Ravens just rolling over this Cleveland Browns defense. Sure, if you're a Cleveland fan, maybe you'd like to see your QB1 get a shot at these guys. Ask the Baltimore Ravens if they give a damn about anybody's injury issues. Few teams have been hit by the injury bug as hard as Baltimore so far this season. They were down six starters in this matchup. That doesn't even count stuff that happened a month ago, like losing J.K. Dobbins for the season. These guys have been hard up against it, and it hasn't stopped them from improving to 2-0 in the division. They beat Cincinnati earlier this year. They roll right over the Cleveland Browns, which, if you recall, this was the hot defense. Miles Garrett and company really flexing their muscles as an elite defensive unit, and they still could be. Maybe maybe with more competent quarterback play, maybe if they're able to stay off the field a little bit, you get a better performance. But Lamar Jackson and the Ravens offense took it to them in this game. And, and the stats aren't anything crazy. Lamar only threw for 186. The Ravens had 296 yards of offense, which is not a memorable day by any standard. But the thing that stands out to me, again, this was a defense that had hardly let anybody into the red zone, had hardly let anybody score touchdowns on them. The Ravens go 93 yards for a touchdown to make it 14 to three. One possession later, they go 74 yards for a touchdown to make it 21-3. And at that point, with a fifth round pick rookie making his first career start, 21-3 before halftime, that's all she wrote. So not, not some type of gaudy performance like we saw from Buffalo, but a very effective performance. Lamar Jackson, 15 of 19, 
almost 10 yards per attempt. So the Ravens stretching the ball downfield in a way that we've wanted to see from them. Lamar with not quite a perfect passer rating, but a very, very good one. Just an effective business-like performance. They thump a division rival on the road at that. By the way, the Ravens' next opponent at Pittsburgh. So wrapping up this what-the-hell AFC North topic. The Steelers go down to Houston, lay a complete and total egg. They lose 30 to six to the Texans. We'll get to that in a minute, but the Ravens right now, until we see how long Deshaun Watson's out, like the Ravens easily in the best position in this division. And next week they travel to Pittsburgh. They're done with all their division road games on October 8th. Imagine getting to three and O in the division with all your road games out of the way before you're even halfway through the season. And hopefully they're getting a lot healthier. It is good to be the Baltimore Ravens. I alluded to the Texans big win just a minute ago. So let's get into it a day for the rookies here in week four. And I don't mean any rookies. I mean, quarterbacks, five different rookie quarterbacks get the start in week four. Only one of them wins. So let's start there with CJ Stroud and what is now a full blown story in Houston. I think, I think the Texans flew under the radar. Maybe they felt like a feel good story for the first couple of weeks because they were losing, you know, they opened their season with a 25 to nine loss to Baltimore. And you're like, Oh, CJ Stroud looked pretty good, but the Texans look completely overmatched. That's about what I thought has not been the case for a couple of weeks at this point as CJ Stroud is keeping some historic company, the number two overall pick out of Ohio state, 1,212 passing yards through his first four games after throwing for three Oh six and two touchdowns against Pittsburgh. He has now passed Andrew luck and only trails cam Newton for the most rookie passing yards through your first four games. Just in case you're unaware, that's that's really, really good company to keep. Andrew Luck, a four-time Pro Bowler, one of the best quarterbacks in the league before injuries prompted him to retire early, and Cam Newton, a former NFL MVP. Yeah, I'd say C.J. Stroud's doing just fine. If that wasn't good enough, no bad decisions. Six touchdowns, still no interceptions so far this season. And it's not like we can pretend C.J. Stroud is in this incredibly favorable situation. You know, we talk about Brock Purdy having all these superstars to work with. The Houston Texans should have picked number one in the draft last year. It should have been them navigating the choice between Bryce Young and and Stroud and only a miracle win in week 18 against Indianapolis put them into the number two spot. This is a bad team. Clearly they've made some other really solid draft picks, But Stroud's doing this without much in the way of an offensive line. One starter from week one still playing for him against the likes of TJ Watt, against the likes of Alex Highsmith, and Stroud goes for 300 yards and two touchdowns. I I can't say enough about the performance that the Texans have turned in these last two weeks to get back to 500. D'Amico Ryan's clearly has a a program in mind. And I have a feeling we want to get to know the name Bobby Slowick, D'Amico Ryan's offensive coordinator down in Houston, who is clearly molding Stroud into something really impressive. So it's a feel good story. No more. Uh, The Houston Texans 
if they're not a legit contender, they are a legit fun watch. And CJ Stroud looks every bit a legit star quarterback. All right. Not as beautiful of a day for the other rookies making starts. Let's start out with Aiden O'Connell. Maybe one of the more surprising ones. The fourth round pick out of Purdue gets the last second start for Jimmy Garoppolo, who was in concussion protocol this week. I want to take a minute to give props to the Raiders for starting O'Connell. You're in this situation. It would make sense if Josh McDaniels wanted to start Brian Hoyer, who he's familiar with from his time in New England and who is a veteran. But do the do the fun thing. Let's see what this young guy can do. Let's give him an opportunity to show his stuff. Brian Hoyer's had a long time to show us who he is in the NFL. Aiden O'Connell deserved a chance. I'm glad he got it. Not the most fun day of his life, probably. He gets sacked seven times. Khalil Mack with six of those. Khalil Mack almost set the NFL sack record on Sunday afternoon. I, I have a feeling maybe... It had something to do with playing the Raiders, the team that drafted him, who traded him away. Tough, tough outing for the Raiders, but hey, Aiden O'Connell keeps a minute. It looked hopeless, down 24-10 to the Chargers in the fourth quarter. They come all the way back, and they get in the red zone with a chance to tie the game. Of course they do. It's the Chargers. Chargers are never going to win a normal game in their existence, but O'Connell does throw the game-deciding interception on the goal line. Vegas just one of 11 on third down in this game. Not a not a wonderful debut at all, but I thought a really promising performance finished with 238 yards on the day in addition to the interception. Like I said, I'm, I'm glad we got a chance to see him. I don't think it looked too big for him. The Raiders, against all odds, had a chance to win this game despite being five and a half, six-point underdogs on the road. If Jimmy Garoppolo's out any more time, I hope we get to see him in another outing because at the very least it makes the Raiders more interesting than they would be. Speaking of quarterbacks missing time, speaking of concussion protocol, Anthony Richardson made his return from a concussion absence in week four against LA. If you're not already just carve time out of your Sunday to watch Anthony Richardson. I don't know how good the Colts are. They fall to two and two in this overtime loss to the LA Rams. But Anthony Richardson is is worth the watch all on his own. He only completed 11 passes in this game, and yet those 11 passes went for 200 yards. He finishes with 256 all-purpose yards, three touchdowns on the day. He leads the Colts back. This, this game looked completely hopeless, and Anthony Richardson spurred the Colts to get this game to overtime. He's, he's just a special, special athlete. Like the ball looks different coming off his hand. He made a few throws in this game that I don't think it's a stretch to say there can't be more than three or four guys in the NFL who can do the stuff that Anthony Richardson does. And those guys are named Mahomes, Allen, Herbert, like the, the freakazoid transformer Optimus Prime quarterbacks. Anthony Richardson athletically is in that class. That's why you draft him in the top five. We will see how, how good he can be, how much the Colts can polish him. But what we're seeing from him after just a couple of starts, because remember he's missed time due to this injury. It's really, really impressive. And even if the Colts don't win another game, watching this guy is worth the time. So, so exciting. Moving on to Bryce young, number one, overall pick return to action at home against Minnesota. He missed last week with an ankle injury. 
not not what I would call an inspiring performance. Anytime you score 13 points and your lone touchdown of the day comes from your defense picking off Kirk Cousins, probably not great. Probably why the Panthers fall to 0 and 4 and just at the risk of sounding mean, look like one of the more toothless offenses in the NFL. Our guys Brady Quinn and Alex Faust had the call on this game and I wanted to talk to them about Bryce Young's performance and and the talent around him and the situation that he's in and and what those expectations can be and and how the Panthers can try to put Young in a better situation than he's been in moving forward. Alex Faust, Brady Quinn here with you in Charlotte. The Vikings beat the Panthers 21-13. An up and down day though for Bryce Young trying to manage this New role that he's been thrust in. What were some of the positives and negatives? Today? I think the positives were, you saw in the second half in particular, he really started to get a beat on what Minnesota was trying to do, navigating the pocket, making some plays. But at the end of the day, he's still not quite there yet. They need to give him more help. It can't just be Adam Thielen continuing to carry things on the outside of wide receiver. Uh, there's still a trade deadline out there. So hopefully they can make some additions to this offense to take some of the pressure off his shoulders as a rookie quarterback. All right, so the Vikings get to 1-3. Carolina 0-4 for the first time since 2010. We'll wrap this segment up with the fifth-round pick for the Browns, Dorian Thompson-Robinson. Again, the rookie out of UCLA getting the start at the last minute with Deshaun Watson unavailable. You always have really high hopes. It's exciting when a rookie gets to start his career. DTR, one of the stars of the preseason, looked phenomenal for Cleveland in, in August, and that's how Josh Dobbs wound up in Arizona. He played well enough that, that the Browns said, ah, Josh Dobbs, we're shipping you off to Arizona. And I think it's just a stark reminder of how hard the NFL is because as good as you can look in exhibition season against second and third string players, reality can bite you when you're going against a real deal NFL defense like Baltimore's not a great day for DTR. He looked like a fifth round pick getting his first action against a salty defense picked off three times sacked four times Cleveland finishes with three points, which holding people to three points had been their specialty up until this point in the season, not writing the book on his career at all, but just a reminder, this stuff is really, really hard. Not every NFL story gets to come right out of the storybook. We'll wrap up the Sunday six this week with what we're calling the September superlatives, the calendar flipped to October over the weekend. I have no idea how that happened. Season feels like it's flying by already, but We've got one month and four weeks worth of games to look back on. So yeah, why not do some superlatives? Why not remember the first month of the season fondly? So I've got five categories I'm going to take you all through as we reminisce about September. I can't wait to see how some of this stuff has aged by December or January. We'll start off with the best game of the first four weeks, the best game of September, my favorite game anyway. Apparently, this one surprised some of my producers, but I'm going to go with week three, Chargers at Vikings. The Chargers go into Minneapolis and beat the Vikings 28 to 24. My reasoning for this, to quote Marie Kondo, I love mess. I love chaos and just weird games, and that that's what this was. A meeting of 2022 playoff teams who were surprisingly... 0-2, loser, has a very faint shot of making the playoffs, and it didn't disappoint. 
Brandon Staley goes for it on fourth and one from his own 24 yard line up by four points with a minute 51 to play and he doesn't get it. And the only thing more chaotic than that is that the Vikings squander the easy scoring opportunity with an end zone interception. Kirk Cousins and Kevin O'Connell can't get on the same page. It's exactly what I wanted from a Chargers Vikings game. And it ended in as much chaotic fashion as I could have hoped for. Absolutely delivered. Yes, the Chargers played a classic against the Dolphins in week one. There were plenty of good games in September, but this will be the one I think I remember the most looking back on September of 2023 for the pure chaos of it all. And I loved it. Biggest surprise. Maybe week four is influencing me here, but I think my answer here is the Houston Texans. Just we already talked about CJ Stroud. We don't need to get too deep into it, but what the Texans look like as opposed to what I thought they looked like is night and day. And you could say the same thing about Arizona, Arizona, the Arizona Cardinals, but two key differences. One, the Texans have fought their way back to 500 while the Cardinals are one and three, but also you're building around something here. Arizona's in this weird situation where as good as Josh Dobbs is, Kyler Murray's hurt. You're not sure when he's coming back. No, CJ Stroud is the guy you drafted. He is the future and he looks every bit the part. The Texans, absolutely not the easy out that I thought they were. I I will throw a shout out to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. They improved to three and one by beating the Saints on Sunday. Baker Mayfield having a little bit of a renaissance, a worthy runner up, but I think it's the Texans just because of how exciting Stroud is. Speaking of exciting rookies, breakout player, who other than Puka Nakua, our own Peter Schrager tipping us off that he might be a heck of a player before the season even started. Even Peter didn't see this coming. For that matter, Peter's sources didn't see this coming. I mean, it's one thing for a fifth round pick out of BYU to scratch out a role on offense. With his performance on Sunday in the overtime win against the Colts, Puka Nakua has now set the NFL record for a rookie 39 catches through his first four games, 501 yards, both records. Oh, and his first career touchdown is a walk-off from Matthew Stafford to put this game away in overtime. It's, it's, it's mystifying. Honestly, again, it'd be one thing if, if he was averaging two or three catches a game, you're like, Oh, kid's not bad. Fifth round pick. No, he's been one of the stars of the season. He's one of the best receivers statistically in the NFL through the first four weeks. Incredible story. And it doesn't look like it's going to slow down offensive MVP. It's got to be, it's got to be to a tongue of Iloa, not his day on Sunday through a pick in Buffalo, but through the first four weeks, the guy's still sitting on 1300 passing yards. He's thrown nine touchdowns after four games. It's going to get interesting. Now, Josh Allen reannounced himself week four, but I think the three picks against New York in the season opener eliminates him from consideration here because we're, we're not awarding MVP. We're awarding MVP for September. And I think it's definitely Tua. And when you consider these statistics, I, I do think he's going to be right in the thick of the MVP conversation, provided he stays healthy. And by the way, that's a big storyline that's followed him. Perfect bill of health through the first four games of the season. Hopefully it stays that way. Defensive MVP. I think it's Micah Parsons. I think if you are a Browns fan or a Steelers fan, you have every right to be annoyed with me. Miles Garrett, TJ Watt. There are plenty of defenders having phenomenal seasons. I think Micah Parsons is a 
let's just call it what it is. He's the face of one of the biggest teams in the league and one of the most dominant defensive performances in the league. I mean, few teams are racking up these, these lopsided wins. The Cowboys are, Oh, and on top of that, Parsons has the the stats to go with it. Four sacks through four games, six tackles for loss, eight quarterback hits. He leads the league in pressures, did not record a sack week four against new England, but he's still on pace for a sack a game. And he led the Cowboys in pressures against the Patriots, despite missing time with an ankle injury. And yeah, he's pressuring the quarterback more often than anybody in the league. And with the way the Cowboys get after teams, with the way they've been building up these leads, he's going to have so many opportunities to rush the passer. He's my MVP through the first four weeks. I'm confident Miles Garrett and plenty of other guys will have something to say about that. Let's wrap it up with the best team. Again, for the month of September, it is the Miami Dolphins. Yes, I know they lost by 28 points on Sunday. I still think they're deserving of this award, mainly because we weren't sure what to expect from Miami coming into the year. Like on September 4th, before the season even started, I could have told you that the Eagles and the 49ers had a good shot to be undefeated. They would be contenders. I could have told you about the Bills and the Cowboys. Nobody saw this from Miami right out of the gate. Nobody saw them announcing themselves as a big time contender, scoring 150 points on the season, having a 70 point day. They scored more points than anybody in the league by a full 25 points. That's basically a full game. Yeah, that's what happens when you score 70, right? People are talking about nicknaming this offense. Maybe that was premature based on the fact that they score 20 points in a loss to Buffalo. But clearly they are, when you think about the month of September this season, this is the team that's going to come to mind largely because they scored 70 points. They scored a a point total we haven't seen since the sixties. Yeah, I would say they're deserving of it, but that's not good enough for Miami. Now I think the expectations have changed and what'll be interesting is to see how silly this looks like. Are they going to stay in this conversation for the next three months? Or will we be looking back in January and saying, remember when the dolphins were the team of September? I don't think that's going to be the case, but it's on them to rebound from that loss in Buffalo and prove me right. That does it for September superlatives. That does it for our show. A busy Sunday in week four. We're not done. The NFL on Fox podcast takes no days off. We will be back tomorrow to break down Monday night football, Seattle, going to face the Giants. Big one coming up tonight. We'll be here to break it down. We'll be here to preview week five, get into some more insights from week four. By the way, stay tuned. We've got another episode of Ask Glazer coming up after the show. Be sure to stick around for my questions for Jay this week. In the meantime, go find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, all of the social media apps, wherever you get your NFL content, you can find us. We appreciate it so much, y'all. This has been fun. I'm Dave. I'll catch you next time. All right, back once again with another edition of Ask Glazer with Fox Sports NFL insider Jay Glazer. Jay, I actually look, look at that. Look at look at look at now. Before you start on this, okay? I, we had we had a deal last week that you were going to dress up. So I am, but I knew you weren't. So I, am, I dressed down. I am in transit. You're I, pulling me down. In football, not, you're supposed to elevate people. Pick a rising them up. boat lifts right, all You're supposed tides. to pick them up. <laughs> I will find my dress clothes. They're buried somewhere in my apartment. I I will suit up for you okay. at least once this season. I promise. Yeah, because I mean, come on. I mean, you know, you're supposed to like. Inspire me. 
Elevate me. You, right? I got to find this my... This is our baller's look. I got to find my vest. Yeah. yeah, no, for sure. Uh, you're right. But somehow this guy retired, so... All right. I, I'm I'm taking this personally now. I won't let you, you down. You should. I won't let you You down. should think about it all week. I actually... It's the worst thing going on in your life right now. I was going to throw this question out earlier this no. afternoon because the Bears were up 28-7 to seven and all, right. all looked hunky-dory in Chicago. Tom asks, if the Bears lose today... Do you think they try to trade Justin Fields? I don't see that happening, but it's, I mean, it could get dicey in Chicago, could it not? Well, yeah, it's going to get dicey in Chicago. You, might, you have to remember this, first of all. This group in Chicago are not the ones who drafted Justin Fields. True. So they're not attached to him. I think more than anything, they're in evaluation mode. And, and I said on Fox NFL Sunday last week, they don't know if he's the, quarter, the answer to their future or not. They're evaluating right now. When you see his body of work out there, you're saying, mm, probably not. Probably want to get somebody, one of these top quarterbacks who are out there coming out of the draft. The other question is, though, of a trade, can you find a trade partner for that? And I don't know that right now. I don't know if any, what you're really going to get from him at this point. Um, but it's, you know, he, he, they need to see an, an awful lot more from him for them not to use one of those top. By the way, they have their number one pick and the Panthers number one they pick. They currently have the right? top two picks, top two in, picks the draft. in the draft. Right. So he really has to do, I think, a lot of work to show them you don't need to use one of those on a quarterback. He has a long way to go for that. Devastating way to end what looked like a good afternoon. John wants to know the night game Sunday. Aaron Rodgers is going to the game. How much do you th- a? How much do you think that could help a guy like Zach Wilson? And then B between Aaron Rodgers and Taylor Swift. I mean, how many sweet shots are we are we going to see in this game tonight? I don't know if we'll see any of the game. Shots of the sweets, yeah. Um, here's the thing: the Jets have been finger pointing. They've been arguing amongst themselves, and and a lot of there's a lot of frustration with Zach Wilson. But it's usually a defense versus offensive rift. It's been even an offense versus offensive rift, but. Aaron Rodgers went and talked to the team. He's like, enough of this. We can't have this finger pointing. We can't have all this. You know, we have this great culture going, you know, at the start of this. We've got to continue with that. We can't just all of a sudden we, we hit some adversity and start p- pointing fingers at each other. So I think it's great that Aaron was there to do that. I think with Aaron there, a lot of that will a lot of that will dissipate. They won't do that in front of him. He's like, you know, he's like daddy right now. You know, well, we want to do this in front of dad, right? right. So um, I think by having him there, it will certainly help. I, I don't think Zach Wilson is the answer right now. I think he's so shell-shocked by what happened last year and now this year also that I think at this point, any other option, I think it's a better option because I just think the kid, you know, right now, he's just been shell-shocked by how much has gone on. New York's a different place. You compete against the Giants. You compete against the Yankees, like it's a different place. And when they turn on you, man, you got to be a special kind of cat to be able to rise up to it. That's where, like I've always said, Eli Manning, what a stud, gangster, yeah. to be able to come all the way back from his criticism and stuff they said about him. And not just that, now be you know one of the kings of New York. It, it, you really got places like that, places like Dallas, right, where it just gets different attention. So a guy like... Uh, Zach Wilson can only be helped by Aaron Rodgers there, but not just that. I think Aaron can help the offensive coordinator right now. He can help out kind of a, a lot of different areas. The head coach, a lot of different areas of that team. Really timely question from Sunita. Puka Nakua gets a walk-off winner in yeah. overtime. 
Do you think do you think Cooper Cup is coming back week five and next with, week? So with the two of them, yep. I mean, should we be talking about the Rams as a threat in the NFC? Well, you know, look, I think what Sean McVay has already done over there, but this team wasn't really supposed to be competitive at all this year, right? right. And they've been competitive in every game and really could have won a couple of those other games. And um, if you put now, and this is without, yeah, I was just, their top offensive weapon. So now you put Cooper Cup back over there with Puka as well. It's going to be uh, interesting to see what happens. But no, he uh, Sean McVay did say this past week that he will be back. Cooper will be back this coming week. Question from Lando Commando. He says, "Where's Jonathan Taylor going to end up here? He's he's about to start practicing yeah. again. Right now, it seems like everything's hunky dory. Um, he's in good shape. He's able to start this week. They could activate him off the pup list and then decide when he could play. Um, there weren't any trade offers out there right now, but in the past, teams like Miami and Green Bay were interested. So." You know, they have to offer up what, what the Colts are looking for. And then in the Colts' perfect world, Jonathan Taylor would stay and build something special with Anthony Richardson. That's their, in their perfect world, that's what would happen. That relationship had been fractured so much, you got to see if, if it can still be put back together or not. Um, and if not, like I said, the original teams were Miami and uh, and Green Bay. And, but even Miami now, you look at it and say, ah, their running game is really strong right now, so I don't know if it makes really sense yeah. to put somebody in there. Question from Andrew that is burning up the fantasy community right now. He says, hey, Jay, I'm a huge Lions fan. I was wondering why the Lions drafted Jameer Gibbs in the first round if they were going to use David Montgomery as the workhorse. No, but two totally different positions. Completely. It's like, you know, when the Saints had uh, Ingram and Kamar, right? Two totally different positions. So I think that's what they were looking for. They were looking for a Kamara type back um, before Kamara was the you know, featured back. And he is a different type of weapon. I, I think Ben Johnson could use him in really special ways. He just had a couple of pro games so far, but there's some special ways they could use him. One last one says, again, timely. He was a healthy and active. What's going on with Chase Claypool? Oh. Is is there a market for a trade? Does this lead to no. a cut? Like, where do you think this is going? Yeah, look, and I told you on, on week two of Fox NFL Sunday that the coaching staff over there basically told Chase Claypool because of his effort that it wasn't acceptable. And if he does it again, they'll sit him. They, they'll possibly move him. They'll ship him out of town. Then he comes out and he says this week that the coaches aren't using him right. So that's why he was healthy and active. They're going to have a talk with him this week and decide where his future is from there. But, you know, if you're another team, look, certain, certain teams look and go, we want nothing to do with it. Yeah. Other teams look at it and they say, yeah, we can turn this guy into, you know, it's, it's, you have to have an ego as a coach. We can turn somebody else's trash into our treasure. But it's also like it's a typical, you know, Steeler, Mike Tomlin type of guy where they look fantastic with the Steelers and they leave Pittsburgh and all of a sudden you're like, oh my gosh, look at the problems this guy has. So Mike Tomlin should be given a Nobel Peace Prize for some of the, you know, some of the guys he's, he's made look like angels yeah. over there. Some of the stuff that doesn't right. get out of Pittsburgh. Oh my gosh, yeah. right? We're doing Ask Glazer all season long. Get your questions all in. Year. Hashtag Ask Glazer. We'll next time we do this. next week. Next time we do this. He's not going to dress better next week. Well, I'll, I'll, totally consi not gonna I'll consider next it. I'll consider it. It's just not going to happen. We'll see. It's, to come Come for the questions. Stay to see <laughs> what my wardrobe is. Jay, I appreciate it. Thanks, brother.